We're all missing travel right now, but you know what else we're missing? Getting more. With Priceline, you can save up to 60% on your favorite hotels, and you can also get exclusive deals on car rentals and flights. And when you save more, you can do more. More, wow, mmm, and yes! Priceline knows that every trip is a big deal. So when you're ready to book your next one, visit Priceline.com for the easiest way to get more out of it. And don't forget to download the Priceline app for even more savings. Arizona, Colorado, Indiana, Michigan, New Jersey, Tennessee, and Virginia. WinBet is now live in all these states, and the excitement of Win Las Vegas has finally landed in online sports betting and casino play. From boosted parlays to live in-game odds on every major sport, WinBet gives you the tools to win. Sign up today for your risk-free $1,000 sports bet. Download the WinBet app now or visit wynnbet.com to start winning. What's up, everyone? Welcome to episode 67 of the That's So Mets podcast. I'm your host, Connor Rogers. Joining me, as always, is my co-host, Joe DeMeo, and we have a loaded That's So Mets for you today as we inch closer to or through this month of November uh, with the Mets not making a hire yet at GM, at President of Baseball Operations. So, it's been an interesting timeline, and there is still a lot of Mets news. Of course, Sandy Alderson, as we sit here and record this on Tuesday evening, met with the media and had a press conference this morning that was quite long. Joe and I will give our takeaways from that. Uh, a new name has emerged at having a real shot to be the next Mets general manager. That is Adam Cromey, who has been out of baseball since 2017, left to uh, be a practicing lawyer. So that will be something we go through and, and probably not too excited about it, to be quite honest. A lot of rumors around the Mets and Chris Bryant once again. Of course, Conforto and Syndergaard uh, extended the qualifying offer. And as always, your mailbag, which is going to be a good one today because there's a, this is the time of year where you're seeing a lot of free agency contract predictions, landing, uh, landing spot predictions. So we're going to go through a lot of those different rumors. What makes sense? What doesn't? This is going to be a very, very uh, obviously off-season crazed show with so much to go through. So, Joe, let's get you in here right away. Um, obviously, you watched the Sandy Alderson presser today. I, I was curious if you had any big takeaways or as many as you can from a typical kind of stale press conference. I definitely think there's a few takeaways. Uh, one, it certainly sounds like the GM search might be coming to a head. I know we said that a couple weeks ago, uh, but Sandy, every week. yeah, every week. But Sandy said specifically multiple times, "Let's see where we're at at the end of this week. Let's see where we're at at the end of this week." He wouldn't give a timeline, but continually saying that leads me to believe they're getting closer and closer. Uh, I think one of the big takeaways to me also was the fact that, and it, and good on some of the reporters for the questions that were asked, just trying to identify where the issue was, because obviously the Mets were not granted permission for certain people, uh, a lot of people seemingly rejecting the opportunity, and Sandy seemed to poo-poo himself being the issue, which I guess 
thankfully he's not saying that he himself is a problem. Uh, certainly there's been some word about his, uh, his son, Bryn Alderson, who's the assistant GM. And he said that was a red herring, not an issue. He did recognize that uh, it is potential that Steve Cohen could be a deterrent to some people. And certainly some stuff that I've heard in regards to Cohen is there's worry that he is George Steinbrenner reincarnated. And unfortunately, there's no way for him to dispel that notion. Uh, he's only been here for 12 months. And granted, he had no choice but to make the firings that he did. Uh, they obviously already gone through a couple GMs in that 12-month period and are looking again. Uh, so I think the fact that Sandy was willing to acknowledge that I think was interesting. Um, and then the fact that he called this job something where someone got a one-year basically run as head of baseball operations, which I think just you know constantly brings up the rumor of David Stern's contract ending with Milwaukee, do the, are the Mets looking at a GM here that is only going to be the GM for a year, which I think scares off some people. I mean, it scares probably yeah, everyone, yeah, to be if, honest. If I'm the number two in Minnesota, if I'm Daniel Adler, which is one of the names, if I'm Raquel Ferreira, if I'm all these people, Billy Epler, like anyone here that is a pertinent name, I'd want some assurance that if I'm doing this, I'm going to be able to have this job as the head of baseball operations, regardless of title, beyond a year. And it sounds as if that's not the case. And, you know, it's sort of, it's a tough spot, right? Where you would ideally want the Mets be searching for someone here and be like, yeah, you can be the head of baseball operations going forward. At the same token, you don't want the Mets to say that. And then a year from now have David Stearns be available because we're unsure if his contract ends after 2022 or if there's an option for 2023. And the last thing you want is to be lying to these people that you're speaking to and say, yeah, yeah, you're going to be the GM going forward. And then David Stearns becomes available and the Mets go, well, yeah, we're going to hire this guy and he's going to be your boss. Sorry. So I think it's a very interesting thing. And I think we're really getting to the point that the Stearns thing is, you know, I think a lot of people are going to automatically point to it, but it, it it definitely scares some people. As it should. I think what's so interesting to me is that, you know, obviously the Matt Arnold contract extension kind of had a lot of people bat an eye where they're looking at it and going, is this a situation where he's being propelled potentially to the top of the ladder at the Brewers preparing for a David Stearns exit? I think that's some, that's where the search started to get really dicey uh, for the Mets. And of course, like you said, the, the rumors of Sandy Alderson being there, although I think this is just a collective storm, to be honest with you. I think plenty of people are afraid of this job because they know that it can get ugly quick if you make a couple mistakes, you're fired, you don't know if you're going to get back into baseball. And of course, the candidates that are even up for this job are mostly in comfortable situations. We talked about Raquel Ferreira. She's been with the Red Sox for, what, two decades at this point and has only, you know, ascended as time has gone on. There's clearly a big comfort level there with her. And it's not just her. There are so many 
rumored candidates that are in similar situations across baseball that are either being blocked or for the most part passing on interviewing for this job. So it has gotten interesting. It's obviously not good that we are sitting here today um, with no forget president of baseball operations, but GM, but it does kind of feel like, you know, word gets around leagues really quick, especially in leadership positions, especially amongst front offices and word will get around with the Mets. If there are, if there is a real feel that they are going to go back to the well again next year to try to hire a president of baseball operations year number three in a row of trying that. And there is also a real feel that one of the, you know, big dominoes like a Stearns might actually have interest in coming and more importantly, have the freedom to do so. Nobody's going to take that GM job. It's as simple as that. Quite frankly, that's just how things go in sports. You don't want to walk into a situation where, you know, it, it can get really bad for you really fast and, and or it can just be unpredictable. You might not even think it's going to be bad, but the uncertain, you know, the unpredictable nature of it might really scare you off. So the Mets are in a really interesting place. Uh, I think it's very fair to sit here and point out that this has not gone well, quite frankly. Now, I'm still curious how their offseason is going to go moving forward. I'm not saying it's a failed offseason. We're sitting here in the beginning of November. You're not hitting the panic button yet. But it's a disappointing that they don't have anyone in leadership. And I, I want to transition from there to another name that's a rumored candidate. And this is the first one, honestly, that's hit the news waves that's come up. And I've just kind of muttered to myself, yeah, right, right? Like this is one where it feels like some self-promoting or it feels like yeah, who knows? But Adam Cromie is the latest uh, candidate to be labeled as things like serious candidate. That is from Andy Martino. Uh, Real shot from Joel Sherman. Obviously, these are guys with legit connections. And of course, the original source of it was uh, Chelsea Janes, the national baseball reporter for The Washington Post, who said that, you know, Cromie is in the mix. So a little background on Cromie here. He was last an assistant GM with the Nationals, left in 2017 to go work for a global law firm. So very interesting career path. But let's be real, Joe, and I never want to be the guy to write a guy off before he even has a job. There is nothing inspiring about Cromie's, you know, candidacy for this job right now. So to really talk about what Cromie brings to the table, because I think right now it's all negative about him, everything on Twitter and everything, and understandably so. I'm certainly not going to sit here and defend him. I mean, let's also be frank. Before today, I have never heard of Adam Cromie. Same. So I'm not going to pretend to be an expert. So what do I do? I go ahead and I start researching the guy. So he does have a lengthy career in baseball. He was 10 years with the Nationals, worked player development, worked baseball operations, worked analytics. Uh, very smart guy. Um, there's no question about that. But I am incredibly concerned about hiring a person that has not worked in baseball full time in four years to not only and it's not even just hiring him and coming into the situation and running baseball, which let's be clear, Sandy Alderson more or less said the person that they hire is going to run baseball. He said, basically, I'm just going to advise at this point, which is what ultimately, you know, back when, you know, you talked about it before they even brought Sandy Allison back, that the vision was him on the baseball side being more of an advisory role. And I think that's what he wants to get back into. So whoever they hire is going to have 
decision-making powers for a year, at least. Maybe maybe going forward, you know, I'm, I'm not going to say that Adam Cromie has no chance to be good at his job. He's obviously an incredibly Yeah, that wouldn't person. be fair. Yeah. yeah. But obviously it's incredibly underwhelming uh, on the surface to hire someone that doesn't work in baseball uh, at the current moment. So I know that I read that he does advise some teams on arbitration things and stuff. So he's not, you know, completely removed to the point. He knows nothing about what's going on in baseball, but there's no way he's in tune to the ins and outs of it to the point where, you know, you should feel comfortable if he is the GM hire. Um, Obviously if he gets the job, you want to root for him. You're a Mets fan. Uh, But this is a huge off season with not only, uh, you know, big decisions to be made about different players and the coaching staff, but there's going to be some very expensive decisions being made here. I mean, we're talking about signing Javier Baez to a lot of money. Uh, Obviously, you know, we'll touch on Chris Bryant shortly, potentially Chris Bryant being on the table for big money, Marcus Stroman, anyone else that they want to pursue. The Mets are going to be in position to have the highest payroll in baseball this year. And is Adam Cromie the right guy to make those decisions and you know with potentially uh david stearns or someone coming down the road who then would have to basically deal with the contracts that chromie issued so it's going to be interesting to see you know i'm not going to get ahead of myself like i did with matt arnold and make it seem like he's getting the job but this definitely feels um real from the sense it's coming from everyone now and that only really happens if there's something so I'm not excited at the theory um, of hiring Adam Cromie. I'm not going to pretend that I am. Uh, he has credentials, just his credentials are older at this point, and he's been removed from the game. So his press conference would be quite interesting uh, to see. I mean, when he steps up, the first question is probably going to be, you haven't worked in baseball since 2017 what makes you think you're capable of running a team in 2022? And I think that's a valid question. He's going to have, he's going to have to answer for a lot if he were to be the higher here. Uh, yeah. So I think ultimately it's underwhelming, disappointing, not necessarily him specifically disappointing, but just the way the process, the process dude, has been exactly. beyond, beyond disappointing. I mean, we could blame whatever we want to blame pinpoint, whoever we want to pinpoint. The reality is the Mets have, are looking for a top executive for the second year in a row. And this year somehow went drastically worse than last year did. Like I remember last year being like, Oh, thank God. Chris Young turned the Mets down. And that was like the only one. I mean, they didn't get permission for a couple guys, but he was the only one to like tell the Mets. No, because there was a list. I remember it was Porter. It was uh, Zach Scott. It was Billy Owens. Like there was a list of people that wanted the job. And now the list of people not wanting the job is the list that we're focusing on. We don't know anyone that wants it other than Brian Sabine. And I guess maybe now Adam Cromie, uh, just a, just, I mean, there's no way around it. it. It's been a bit of a disastrous search here and, you know, hopefully it's coming to a head and, you know, whoever they hire is going to have a lot to answer to. No doubt. It's the process. That's the issue here, right? Like when you look at Cromie, Obviously, the first thing people do when they see this name for the first time in their life is Google him. And and he absolutely has his lawyer headshot working against him. Right. He looks like every single finance or law bro that you've ever seen in your life. And you're just like, 
Jesus Christ, we are not doing this again. It, it, the Brody path or whatever you want to call it. But in all seriousness, besides how hilarious the headshot is and why this would become a LOL Mets joke instantly upon hire, whether Chromie turns into a huge success story or not, this is a bad process in my eyes. Now, there are absolutely times where the media can run away with things that are hyperbole, and maybe he is not you know, a serious candidate. Maybe he's a candidate, but maybe not the one right. where it's like, oh, wow, like this could this could be happening really, really quick. This is bad process because, like you said, Joe, he's been out of the game for a long time. He's never been a GM before. Let's be real on top of that. So you you can go here and go, what, instead of saying, why wouldn't this work? You would say, why would this work? Quite frankly, there is no evidence, at least to our eye, and I don't know why the Mets would have any evidence, that this would work, quite frankly, honestly. And, and that was really the thought process with Brody, for the most part, is what has this guy done that's going to translate to being a key decision maker for a New York baseball franchise? And this is even way different than Brody because you and I know damn well, and a lot of people know damn well, that Brody was brought over for a magnitude of reasons from the Wilpons that had to do with financial restrictions, where in this case, it's the opposite that you need a guy that is going to have to know how to work with the opposite of financial constraints. You're going to have to work with having the world in your hands financially, budget-wise, and how do you implement a foundation of a team while still remaining smart and level-headed and even-keeled, right? Like, I'll be the first to tell you, I want to see Javi Baez back with the Mets, and, and whatever it costs is, you know, that's how it's going to go down. I'm not in this pool of people that goes, go sign Correa, go sign Javi Baez, go sign Chris Bryant, go sign a top line pitcher. Go and you just have the you have like five new contracts that are 6 to 7 years and all exceeding 100 million dollars. That's not how this thing's going to go and I'm not saying Adam Cromie is going to do that, but I'm just saying with this job comes significant expectations and significant responsibility. And why should I believe that someone of this stature can handle either of those things? And to be honest with you, I like to try to be the voice of reason. I don't have, I, I think you're asking great questions that I don't have answers to. I have no idea why anyone should believe that it would work here with this person. Um, you know, it might, it may, you know, to your point, like, you know, we don't know. It, it could work out just fine. And, you know, maybe he'll be able to, you know, he does have still have contacts in baseball. You don't work 10 plus years in baseball and not build up some, you know, friends and contacts that can help you out. And because presumably whoever they hire is going to bring along somebody with them to be an assistant or something to that effect. And when I look at Adam Cromie as a candidate, to me, if you wanted to bring him in, he screams assistant GM, where it's just like, all right, come back into baseball. You're assistant GM for the New York Mets. You work under so-and-so. And you know what? Ultimately, maybe that ends up being the case. Like I said, let's not get the cart ahead of the horse here and you know, assume that Chromie is going to be the GM. Uh, but to me, if you want to pull him out of the law, if he wants to come back into baseball, he's done enough things throughout the game in his time that I think being an assistant 
would be fantastic. He brings, he's obviously a, a super intelligent guy, super, super into analytics, basically really drove the analytics department for the nationals uh, to what it has become today. Uh, but I just, I don't see anything that indicates this guy should be running baseball operations for the Mets. If you want to make him a part of it, groovy. That's cool. Like a team effort, collaborative. He could bring some knowledge to the table. But putting this guy at the head of the table, uh, to me, I, I don't I don't see yet. I'd have to be proven wrong, right? It's one of those things that I don't know. I, I just I'm shrugging my shoulders. It doesn't make a ton of sense to me. Uh, but I I would hope that Sandy Allison and Steve Cohen are just smarter than me and uh, making a right decision that I just don't see the logic in. And, and I'll cut it right there because this could be Matt Arnold all over again where, you know, we're leaning over our skis and this ends up not mattering in a week. Right. Yep. And if it does, if this is the hire, we'll spend, we'll do a YouTube video on it. We'll spend tons of time on the pod. Um, I'll even, you know, how very rarely we have guests on the show. I would even try to book a guest that has experience around Chromie to get a better idea. So with that being said, the next bit of news here, and you're going to hear the Mets, just like we warned you last year, connected to all the big free agents because the Mets have a lot of money. The Mets are going to spend money in free agency this year. And in baseball, unlike you know, a lot of free agent markets, notably the NFL or, or whatever it may be, uh, things are not very active out of the gate, right? When when you look at the NBA and the NFL, you're kind of waiting till the clock strikes midnight, 4 p.m., whatever it is, and everybody sprints and all these deals are done uh, that were done in advance anyway. With baseball, everything is slow developing. Leverage is not on many free agent sides, which means it's not on agent side. So this is agents getting ahead. Now, after saying all of that, I believe this rumor. The Mets are being linked to Chris Bryant. And of course, Scott Boris client. Of course, we've heard the Mets and Chris Bryant for over a year now, right? Even when he was under contract with the Cubs. Heard it at the trade deadline. On and on and on. But this makes a lot of sense. And we've gone over this many times on this pod. That Bryant's versatility might be something that really piques the Mets' interest. The fact that he can hold down third base until one of the young guns is up here and holds down that role full-time, probably Brett Beatty. Mark Vientos would be in that picture too, of course. He can play right field. The Mets have significant corner outfield spots as Michael Conforto is expected to reject the qualifying offer that was extended to him. So, I mean, honestly, Joe, this is one of those ones that usually you and I are ahead of the game enough where this podcast is not going to be for the people that buy into every free agent rumor connection headline and want more, more, more. We'll spend the time when it's necessary. This feels like a time where it's kind of necessary. I think Chris Bryant is arguably the best fit for the Mets of any free agent player out there, period. Whether that's someone they'd be resigning or someone that they'd be signing from the outside. Uh, I think Bryant fits exactly what the Mets need. Uh, he's, he's, performed in a big market with Chicago. He's performed in the playoffs. Uh, he has that versatility that you speak of. The Mets need to do something about third base in the immediate. And Chris Bryant could certainly play third base well at the moment. And uh, with Beatty and Vientos coming down the pike, his versatility to not even just play right field, he could play left field. He's played center field as recent as... Yeah, 13 you know, games. End. Yeah. So he's capable of playing 
multiple positions. Uh, he, I'm sure he has some first base versatility if you ever really needed him over there. Uh, obviously, you could have other options with Alonzo and maybe Dom Smith, but just adding to his versatility is not a bad thing. And to me, he felt like a guy the Mets were going to trade for at the deadline. It Obviously, it didn't happen. Uh, so if they're able to bring Brian in, like to me, if they're going to make a significant investment on an outside free agent, Chris Bryant is the one that screams, sign me, uh, from my perspective. It also doesn't hurt that he cannot get the qualifying offer because he was traded midseason, and the Mets will not lose draft a draft pick for him. And Andy Martino reported today that the Mets are seemingly going to be avoiding any free agent that got a qualifying offer, which is music to Ooh, my ears. That's very is, interesting. I miss which that. Is, which is music to my ears and maybe to some fans very annoying. Uh, but the Mets are going to be able to sign some significant pieces if they want to without you know, losing a draft pick. Chris Bryant's on that list. Starling Marte is on that list. Kevin Gossman is on that list. Uh, obviously, your own Marcus Stroman. Javier Baez, maybe Michael Confor- if Michael Conforto's market doesn't get what he thinks it's going to, maybe he's still in play. Uh, but yeah, Chris Bryant, to me, is probably my favorite fit for the Mets on the entire free agent market. I'm with you all the way. I think when you look at it, every single domino falls in favor of the Mets' needs, right? One, I'm with you all the way on the fact that I don't want the Mets to sign somebody that has a... Uh, qualifying offer attached to them because for the Mets, it's just a totally different ball game. You're losing a top 15 pick and this farm system you can't really play games like that, in my opinion. And we've gone over this a million times. There are plenty of options out there that are not attached to that draft pick that you need to do that. You don't need to go do that. So that's number one out of the gate. Number two, the versatility would be huge for this team. We've talked about that. Third base, right field, corner outfield, center field, whatever it may be. DH when he needs a rest, all of those things. Number three for me, Joe, and this is something that the Mets, whoever is going to come in and run baseball operations, quietly really needs to make an emphasis on of this offseason because this is still a young team, a young roster. They need guys that know what it's like to produce in the playoffs. And Chris Bryan is a guy that has... 44 games played in the postseason already. 44 games. And as recently as this year in 2021, in just 18 plate appearances, he had eight hits, a home run, and a walk. So, I mean, he was batting 471. The OPS was over 1,100. He's a guy that has gotten it done recently in the postseason, knows what that pressure is like. That is a real thing that people... You know, it's it's not to me. Sure, you have your Daniel Murphys and we saw a bunch of it for the Braves this year. You have random players that just get hot and go off in the moment. But I think you really need a stable force in this lineup that, you know, we we don't know what Pete Alonso is going to be like in the playoffs and knowing how Pete performs under pressure, I think he'll be fine. But we don't know what guys like that are going to be like. So it's just another thing to me with Chris Bryant. And if they went after Chris Bryant, I still would not rule out Javi Baez, by the way. I, I don't oh, think no. that's, I'm not ruling that out not. at all. They could yeah. sign both of them without question. I think that would obviously require them making some sacrifices elsewhere. Uh, Cause to your yep. point, they're not, you know, they're not likely going to, all right, we're going to sign Bryant. We're going to sign Baez and we're going to bring back Strom, and Then we're going to bring in Marte. Like at that point, you'd be looking maybe at a lower tier at, of a starting pitcher. And maybe it's more about, 
let's add a solid starter to get to plug into the rotation and just really emphasize adding depth there. Um, you know, and what happens in trades? That's another thing that we can't account. We don't know. Like, what's the interest in JD Davis? The interest in Jeff McNeil, especially after what came out from the post, like that kind of pseudo hit piece on Jeff McNeil. Um, yeah, that was kind of weird, right? Yeah, kind of weird that all of a sudden, like that article came off like it was McNeil's fault and just like threw under the rug. It's like, but Lindor held him up against the wall by his throat. And it's just like, yep. and they almost painted it as if like Lindor was justified in doing that. Uh, so that was definitely a weird article. But yeah, I think bringing the Bryant and Baez combination from Chicago, which clearly worked along with Lindor, I think that would go a long way in solving some of the issues the Mets have had against left-handed pitching too. I mean, Chris Bryant, Javier Baez, mash left-handed pitching. Uh, I think it would be very, very exciting if the infield for 2022 was Alonzo, Baez, Bryant, and Lindor. Oh my God, it's amazing. and, And then obviously as time goes on, Bryant ends up a left fielder, a right fielder. You just throw in Brett Beatty, who's beaten the hell out of the Arizona Fall League, or someone like Mark Vientos, who had obviously a monster year this season. So uh, I think it's it's one Bryant to me. I hope is one to watch. Like I don't know for sure that they're pursuing him, but I, I certainly hope they do because he makes all the sense in the world for this roster. Yeah, he certainly does, and that's an exciting one to keep an eye on. It's why I wanted to address it today, quite frankly, because it's. It's one that I, I want to get out in front of, and it's going to be really interesting. You know, a lot of people don't expect Boris's clients to sign right away, uh, but that was one that you got to get out of the gate. So, as I said, Conforto and Syndergaard uh, extended qualifying offers. The feeling at this point is really uh, almost definitive on each side. Everyone thinks Syndergaard's going to take the $18.4 million qualifying offer from the Mets, and everyone also thinks Conforto will reject it and head to free agency, which... Uh, you know, adds up. Syndergaard can rebuild value and get a long-term year if he has a good year on the one-year deal, and that's still a lot of money. Conforto's a guy that in a thin outfield market should probably cash out now. So, you know, nothing really shocking there. Um, but I have to say this, Joe. It, you know, I'm excited for Noah Syndergaard to be back in the Mets rotation next year. Yeah, I think it makes all the sense in the world for it to work out the way I expect it to, uh, which is very similar to you. I figure at some point this week we'll hear that Syndergaard is accepted, and he'll make $18 million, come back to the Mets where they know his recovery. Because uh, that's another thing, too. He's building up his arm, and it's, it's often it's not the best idea in the world to go somewhere new where they don't really have knowledge of your whole process. And he could stay in New York, which is a pitcher's park. He likes New York. He likes Off New the York. <laughs> yeah, he likes New York. Uh, I think he wants to be a Met long term. Uh, but certainly from the standpoint of taking the qualifying offer, what I think helps him a lot is obviously he makes a great sum of money this year uh, or this coming season, uh, gets the chance to rebuild his value. And unless something drastically changes in the CBA, which for this I don't expect to happen, uh, he can never get offered the qualifying offer ever again. He get off, It's gone. It'd be done forever and ever. So he would go into free agency without anything attached to him any hindrances to his market because every year, what do we hear? So-and-so got a qualifying offer. Ugh. Teams don't want to give up the draft pick to get him. So Syndergaard would be a truly free, free agent. And, you know, he ultimately could sign back with the Mets too. But I think this helps him as far as 
his future earnings um, as long as he comes back and performs to his capabilities. And Conforto rejecting it makes all the sense in the world. I know there were some people that thought he should reset his value in a one-year deal. And you know what? If his market falls apart, maybe he does that. But if he does it, he shouldn't be doing it at City Field. That's probably not the best spot in no, the world to no. rebuild your value. Uh, but my expectation personally is Conforto gets a nine-figure deal. Maybe it's just over $100 million or you know, perhaps just under, but he'll be in the neighborhood of $100 million. And I think it, it'd be pretty hard to pass that up for the chance of maybe rebuilding your value to get $125 million instead. If you're going to get near 100, just take it and go. And the Mets, yeah. and the Mets, of course, would get draft pick compensation, which would be likely after the second round. So it'd be in the 60s, maybe early 70s, kind of around where the Mets drafted Matt Allen. Uh, that's kind of where you'd be looking at that pick. So the Mets would have two first round picks, a second round pick, and then a pick right after the second round. Not bad, honestly. You take all the draft assets you can possibly get, especially top 100 picks. We know how um, you know crazy that can get with the baseball, with the MLB draft. So get on Team Shack with WinBet. We're playing parlays, boosting odds, and laying the wildest prop bets. Don't miss another game. Download the WinBet sports betting app today. Sign up today and win $200 in free bets when you place a $10 first-time wager on a straight bet or parlay. That's $200 that you can use for all the upcoming basketball action, including the men's basketball tournament. If you bet at least $500 during the first and second round of the tournament, you can get a trip to the five-star rated Win Las Vegas. Offer subject to change, terms, and conditions at winbet.com. Must be 21 or older and present in a state where playthrough WinBet is available. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem, call 1-800-522-4700. No matter how the last game went, anytime you take the field, you've got a shot at greatness. Give your team the best shot at winning by recruiting more MVPs with Indeed. If you're hiring, you need Indeed because Indeed is the hiring partner where you can attract, interview, and hire all in one place. Start hiring right now with $75 sponsored job credit to upgrade your job post at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Offer valid through March 31st. And Indeed is the only job site where you're guaranteed to find quality applications that meet your must-have requirements or else you don't pay. Go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire to claim your $75 credit before March 31st. One of the things I love about Indeed is that it makes hiring all in one place so easy. And Indeed delivers four times more hires than all other job sites combined, according to Talent Nest. Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and condition apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. All right, mailbag time. And we got a long one here, so I want to jump into this. The first one is from Johnny Mags, who sent us a nice review on Apple Pods. Thank you, Johnny. He said, with the history of issues our front office has had, is it possible the vetting process has become more rigorous than the typical team? And some candidates they've been interested in have been flagged. So this is a good theory, Johnny, that, you know, obviously this process could have been uh, more rigorous or longer than we are being led on, because obviously there's a lot going on underground, notably this search. But it's been very public that so many people are flat out rejecting the interviews. So I think that's where I'm kind of like, okay, yes, this could be a rigorous process. But is this the reason they are not making a hire? Uh, no, I, I really don't think so. 
I don't know, obviously, if anyone got flagged, but it's possible, sure. Uh, what's actually perfect timing for this question, shortly before we came on air, uh, John Heyman tweeted that Chromie seems to be the leading candidate at the moment, not related to him specifically, but not taking any chances. The Mets have hired not one, but three vetting firms to look into the candidates that they're considering. Uh, Corn Ferry is the most well-known one. Oh, That's they one, hired... Um... One of the Jets GMs, I think it was Idzik. Oh, I forget. Great. Yeah, Fantastic. it was. It was whatever yeah. it was. Whatever yeah. they did, um, do the opposite. Let me say that. Yeah. So Corn Ferry and two others, though. So they they're vetting to uh, Johnny's point. Their vetting has become much more rigorous uh, in the sense of a normal GM search. Uh, teams typically will hire one vetting firm. It's not really much of a need to do more than that. Obviously, you know those. Corn Ferry and people like that are not necessarily specifically recommending hire this person. Uh, it's more, we do the vetting. We tell you if there's anything to be worried about and, you know, give you a list of people that we think are like the lowest level of concern. So yes, the Mets have definitely gone more rigorous after what happened last year, which I think is a great thing. Um, obviously it went very poorly last time. So the more information they can have, the better, uh, as far as people being flagged, I have no idea. But at least at least it's a more rigorous process, and it's not just uh, Steve Cohen and Sandy Olsen just taking a shot again. Absolutely. Uh, no disagreement there. And obviously a great question from Johnny that you know he was ahead of. There is a long process to be done here. Okay, I just wanted to give a shout-out. Thanks to Henry Strauder on Apple Pods. Did not ask a question in the review, but left a nice five-star review. So we read those as well, and we'll shout you out. I always appreciate it. All right, the next question is from Matthew, who said, what did you think of the contracts given out to prospective Mets free agents by multiple news outlets? He mentions New York Post, ESPN. Uh, where do you see these players going and signing for how much? So quickly, I pulled up the New York Post contracts that were much different from ESPN. The Post had the Mets signing Javi Baez, seven years, $150 million. I think that's pretty close to what that deal will end up looking like. Starling Marte for three years, $75 million. Definitely one of the free agents I'm a big fan of for center field. Aaron Loop, three years, $27 million. And then Cindergaard with the qualifying offer. Now, keep in mind, these are just from the you know top 40-ish kind of free agents. This isn't the entire Mets offseason. I don't want anyone reacting like, oh, how did we get better from that group? Like, that's not the case. Uh, I remember ESPN, this is off the top of my head. I think they had Javi signing like a one-year $25 million deal. They had Stroman in like the $50 million area. It just, I don't know. Their numbers seemed really far off to me. Maybe I'm wrong. Who knows? I really liked the New York Post's predictions in terms of money, and and I'm kind of aligning there. So when you look at these contracts, I think with Baez, that term is long, but that annual average is lower than what I would expect him to get. So that's the middle ground there. Like I could see a situation where Javi gets five years, 125 million. Uh, and then you, that you could obviously see one where there's seven years, 150, which would be, you know, longer term, but you're saving on the annual average. It just depends how the Mets or any team interested in doing it wants to handle their business. Marte's 33 years old. I I'm still comfortable with that deal. I don't think it'll come in at 75 million. I think Marte will be closer to 60 million over three years. But once again, you know, center field market's always kind of strange. Loop, nine year, nine million per year wouldn't shock me. Reliever deals, though, that are more than two years honestly terrify me. Just being honest, I don't really like that one that much. Uh, what did you think of these, Joe? 
it's so hard to gauge. I would say especially this winter because I don't want to jinx it, but I think we're uh, a little over three weeks away from a complete freeze on player acquisitions. Once the CBA expires on December 1st, if there is not a new collective bargaining agreement in place at that point, um, all player acquisition will be frozen until a CBA is reached. That would mean no free agents, no trades, no nothing. And uh, Jeff Passan over at ESPN uh, was asked, he did like an article, like a mailbag, pseudo mailbag type of thing. And it was like, well, when do you think the lockout or not even a lockout, it would end? And he guessed early to mid-February. So that's a there's, long time. So there's a possibility, you know, I'm not saying that that's definitely the case, but there's a possibility that in three weeks, the offseason will be shut down for two months. Not Bad impossible. news for the That's So Mets podcast. I know. We're going to have to really get out there. We'll get Hope guests. you guys like the, the yeah. number edition of the show, which, by the by the way, yeah. was Seth Lugo today. We'll end the yeah. show with that. Yeah. But as far as overall numbers, Javi Baez, if he wants more than five years, go get it somewhere else. I'm not giving Javi Baez the term. That's what I'm, I'm not. With Steve Cohen here, I'm worried about the term much more than the AAV. I don't care so much about saving on the AAV. I want to save on the term. So I'm looking at four to five years for Javi if I'm bringing him back. Um, I'd be, frankly, quite shocked if he had seven years out on the market, to be totally honest. But um, I could be totally wrong. Uh, Starling Marte, like you said, three years feels perfect. Uh, 75 million sounds a little high. I don't know if he's a $25 million a year player. I like to think he's more of a 20-ish, like you said, three years, 60, maybe 365, something like that. Loop, keep it to two years. Uh, like to me, don't I just care look about at, the average, right? You just I, I, jack I, it I up. Do, if I mean, I look at Trevor May's contract and that's kind of what I think would be my vision for a loop contract. Two years at seven and a half or so million dollars a year. I think that's, you know, I think that's quite handsome for a guy that, Obviously, he was fantastic this year, but overall, he's just been a solid lefty reliever for his career. So, like, you give him that money, there's a chance he reverts back to being that, and you could stomach that. I just, I just don't know if he's a nine, ten million dollar a year reliever. Uh, so, it's closer it feels a money. Li- yeah, it feels a little high financially, and one year too long. But I guess you know anything could happen on the market with him. And Syndergaard taking the qualifying offer. You know, I, I think we all agree that's probably going to happen here any day. I think so as well. Yeah. You know, it's the real uh, quiet thing here that is interesting to watch is really what Marcus Stroman's market is going to be. Because if Marcus Stroman is coming in at where he's not getting close to 100 mil, well, then the Mets got to keep in contact with him. Our whole stance on, you know, moving on from Stroman is that the starting pitching market will just get too insane and that kind of deal wouldn't make sense for the Mets. So definitely some interesting projections. They are strictly projections, uh, maybe with a little informed you know, sense, depending who's writing it, um, by who might go where. All right, the next one from Daniel Weber, who asked, thoughts on Kyle Schwarber. He can play a passable left field. His production will likely equal or, some, or surpass Conforto's. They're the same age, and he doesn't have a qualifying offer attached. If the DH comes in the next CBA deal, it's a slam dunk. The Mets need impact bats. He seems severely undervalued. You know, yes, he's an impact bat. 
great point about no qualifying offer attached. I just think knowing the Mets farm system right now, I don't think the Mets can spend big money on a guy that doesn't play in the field. That's just that's just my take right now because realistically, I think Vientos is going to be a DH or at least see time at DH. And I think that one of these guys, they're going to sign, whether it's a Chris Bryant or, you know, on and on and on. As they get older, you would like to use the DH to give them a little bit of a breather from playing the, you know, wear and tear of playing in the field every night, but still have their bat in the lineup. So I, I am just, just being honest as it stands right now, and I'm sure I'll flip on this stance. I am very anti sign a big money player to strictly DH. So with Schwarber, he does not play a passable left field. That's uh, my, and I know Daniel yeah. did make that that note there, and right. I yeah, I just don't agree. I I yeah. think he's terrible in the outfield. I mean, he was negative six outs above average in twenty twenty one. That's good for him. That's like actually ne- a great. Yeah. That's a career year for him. Negative right? te- negative ten in two thousand nineteen. Yes. Yeah, he's just not a defensive player. He's a DH only, um, and he's going to be seeking a multi-year deal. Uh, to me, I appreciate and I agree with him that Schwarber's an impact bat. I think the no Mets, doubt. but I think the Mets, if they're pursuing an impact bat, should be more on the right-handed side of things rather than the left-handed side of things. Chris Bryant, and if you want to play the game that there's a DH this year, and uh, you know you want to sign someone to be the DH. Go sign Nelson Cruz. He's yeah. old. Well, he's old. He's old as dirt. One year deals. One old year deals. Dirt, but he'll take a one year deal, and he's just gonna mash home runs for you. Uh, so if you're gonna go, you know, sign a DH specifically, I think you know Nelson Cruz is the guy to look at. Uh, you know, we'll see obviously what he wants to do, but supposedly he wants to continue playing. But this is, you know, he's. He's going to go hit you 30-plus home runs at DH at 41 years old. Uh, he's a, a never-ending power hitter. So I agree with you overall. I'm not really looking to sign someone purely for the DH on a multi-year deal. Uh, if if they're going to bring someone in for a year, go ahead. But I think Schwarber will end up somewhere that's more willing to give him that multi-year commitment. Yeah, it's, it's, it's a tricky combo. I think it's a great conversation starter this question from daniel because you can make an argument that spending big on an impact bat like a schwarber or or whoever it may be at dh is the right strategy i just sit here right now and think that the mets it's not a good strategy for them but once again i could be wrong and and you kind of brought the the middle ground answer joe where you think it is worth it but you would do it in a different way where you have a guy that the term is non-existent, right? With a guy like right. Nelson Cruz, he's just going to sign one-year deals until he rides off into the sunset. At this point, yeah, for sure. And this is this is the type of discussions that front offices have, right? Like everyone should be talked about. Like I'm not poo-pooing the Kyle Schwarber idea. I'm just, you know, I don't, I don't see the fit necessarily. But you know, the Mets sent scouts to see Justin Verlander throw. They shouldn't sign Justin Verlander. But they should be looking at everything. There should be nothing that is, you know, considered completely off limits before you have a discussion about it. And they should talk about Schwarber. But, you know, like I said, I think if they want to sign a DH, I'd be much more prone to sign someone for a one-year deal, like a Cruz or someone else, rather than a Schwarber who I expect to probably get four to five years. Totally with you there. Yeah, and that's what it comes down to too, right? Like, 
if, if Schwarber is going to take a two-year deal because teams have concerns about, you know, he's a guy that's been banged up. He's a guy without a position. He's a guy that can get really, really hot and then get really, really cold. I, I mean, he's he's been such a strange player. Uh, I mean, there is, you know, obviously in the shortened season, he just never got going. He hit 188. It was, you know, his OPS was barely above uh, 700. And, and then he's also had years like, you know, last year combined where, uh, he was quite frankly one of the best impact bats across baseball many weeks throughout the season. So, just a strange player, and it's you know once again it just matters how the market breaks out. Where will the market be kind to him and buy in on what they saw last year, his first year as an All Star, or will the market say this is fluky? We're afraid no team is coming out with a. a, a deal that is three years he's going to have to take a two-year deal that's juiced up on the annual average those are the free agents that and you and I clarify this every week that intrigue me the guys that understand their market evaporated around them or never existed to begin with and you can capitalize because you have so much cash flow right you're a team that can throw out a one-year deal that the annual term is five to six to seven million dollars more than anyone else, but you just don't want to have to worry about having that contract attached to you for more than one year. I cannot say this enough every week on the show. Those are the deals that the Mets have to be in a different ballpark than everyone else. And hopefully that's something whoever they hire, uh, that person values that to separate them from the rest of the free agency pack. And speaking of that free agency pack, I knew nothing about this until today. So I appreciate this question from Clay who said, real question, can you give us some insight into this Japanese outfielder, Suzuki? Could he be a fit to replace Conforto in right field? What's the scouting report slash profile and possible cost? So, Suzuki, Japanese player, big-time player over there, 27 years old, right-handed. Basically, all I got him from re- all I got from reading about him, Joe, was that he's got speed, he's got pop. I think he's about 5'11", 180 pounds, so not the biggest guy in the world, uh, but obviously has been tearing it up over there and is entering his prime at 27. Have you, you know, international free agents are always really, really interesting, especially ones with huge expectations where there's rumors going around. Suzuki could see a deal as big as $100 million. Um, What's your take on this situation? So first off, let's uh, let's give him his full name. It's Seiya Suzuki. I can't say the first name. Go ahead. Seiya. Oh, that was way easier than it's spelled. Yeah. Yep, Seiya Suzuki, and I kind of wish it was straight up Sia, because that'd be really That's, awesome. That would have been hitter. my That's guess. It was Sia. Sia. Yeah, yeah. Seiya Suzuki, um, and yeah, you kind of summed him up pretty decently. Uh, a good performer in Japan, a little undersized. Like I don't think you're signing like a Hideki Matsui here or, or anything to that extent, but he has real thump in his bat. Um, I don't, I don't think there's a hundred million dollars out there for him. Uh, I do think he would make more money than Ha Sung Kim made last year from the Padres, if you recall him, the Korean uh, mm-hmm. player that that we talked about, maybe the Mets pursuing. And you know, am I prepared to bank on a player coming from Japan to fill Michael Conforto's shoes? I'm not entirely sure, uh, but it seems like he has above average power. Um, he should be able to play right field. He's got a little speed. He's not crazy fast but he's you know he can run a little bit so he does a little bit of everything well Uh, i'm always worried about the power transition from japan to america uh the pitching level of competition at pitching is obviously significantly different 
and you often see the power numbers not come along with uh, many of the players that come over from Japan. But again, it should be someone under consideration. I want to see the Mets expand into the Asian market, the Cuban market, places that they really haven't played. Uh, So certainly if Conforto walks out the door, they should be evaluating Suzuki and see if he's a fit. Uh, I think he has a chance to be a regular in right field. I just don't know if he's an impact player or not. That kind of remains to be seen. And I would guess his contract would exceed $10 million a year. But I don't think you're looking at $100 million. At least, I don't think so, but maybe I'm wrong. He's won three gold gloves in Japan. Obviously, I think besides the fact that there's risk of how he translates, and that's how every international free agent is, I think it would be really cool to see the Mets get back into, you know, right? The the Asian market for ballplayers. To me, it's just, I think it's really awesome in in any sport, but especially for the Mets, obviously I have rooting interest in the Mets um, to have, you know, just a diverse club like that, where it would be cool to have a player from Japan come over that it has star potential to come over here. He's been a star in Japan. There's no denying that translating uh, overseas is no easy task for any athlete. So you don't want to predict or pretend that that's a given, but this is a signing that would excite me just because of the unknown of it. I think it would be really cool to have a player from the Japanese leagues uh, over with the Mets that can just be a big time player. And, you know, it seems like he has a pretty rounded out game. Uh, we don't know how much the Mets don't have a front office in place right now that we could sit here and say, oh, this is a market they're going to explore. But I do think with the Steve Cohen era, they are always going to look at every avenue to get better. And, and this is one that, quite frankly, this franchise has ignored for way too long. And and to be honest, it, a, a question I think that, you know, I can ask and we could talk about can you afford that risk? You bring back Javi Baez, you sign Chris Bryant. Are you? Is your lineup in a better position for you to say, you know, we could take a flyer on a guy like Seiya Suzuki with the upside or perceived upside that comes along with him and take a risk that, you know, maybe he ends up a fourth outfielder at worst case, fair. right? Like, yeah, is, it, it, is it a risk worth taking? I think that's something they have to weigh. And the biggest thing is I still don't know what their scouting presence is in Japan. Uh, if there is one. If there is one, I don't know. I honestly have no idea. Um, but if there is a presence, you know, hopefully they're, they made the right evaluation because the last thing I would want them to do is just blindly sign a guy uh, based on, you know, some scouting reports from somebody else. Like, you need... The hope is that the Mets have people in Japan watching every day and doing the right scouting and, you know, considering a guy like Suzuki. But it'll be an interesting market to follow because certainly if Conforto walks out the door, the Mets are going to have a need at at least one outfield spot with, you know, no real prospects coming down the pike to be starters uh, unless you are all in on Khalil Lee, which I'm not prepared to do quite yet as a starter. Uh Certainly as a fourth outfielder, I'm very interested, but they're going to have to do something in the outfield. So as much as we talk about the Chris Bryants and the Javi Baez's, they're going to have to find a way to fill outfield spots too and can't exactly do that for free. So it'll be interesting to see if Suzuki's someone on their radar. I just want, if they sign him, uh, for his walk-up song to be Hey Ya by Outkast and then the crowd could just say Say Ya instead. <laughs> In the chain. I mean, come on. It's a golden. That, you could take that, Mets. Yeah. I'm offering it to you. I don't need that any would, compensation. It would be really fun. 
Uh, bring say out of Queens. All right, last question of today's show from John Nucero or Nucero. Uh, hopefully I pronounced that right at least one of the times there, John. He asks, will they have to severely overpay to get free agents to come here? And is it possible uh, that they won't be as aggressive as we think? First part, severely overpay, no. The, because of the way the baseball free agent market is set up, it's it's pathetic, quite frankly. I mean, Jeff Passan, I believe, said those that exa- a phrase just like that last year. It's it's not a fast moving market, right? If this was this does happen, I can tell you from experience, this happens in the NFL a lot. There's a lot of places that guys don't want to go um, for a variety of reasons, but that's mostly because so little of the money outside of year one or two is guaranteed in the NFL that guys care so much about their situation more than just getting, you know, the best offer up front because the long game is the way to play it in the NFL. In baseball, Let's be real. The money's guaranteed. So if you're look at George Springer last year, right? The Mets and the Jays that went I feel like felt like it went on for a while. If the Mets really wanted to get George Springer to Queens, they could have just offered him the most money and it would have happened. There's not a lot of, you know, tie situations that, oh, you know, oh, I can't go to the Mets. There's too much pressure there or things like that. It's not really how the baseball free agent market works for the most part. Yes, there are secondary markets of guys looking for one-year deals to establish themselves that'll be more selective, but the Mets are going to get free agents because they have more money than anyone else. It's as simple as that. Yeah, not so we always make stories out of things like, oh, this person's from, George Springer's from Connecticut. Oh, man, so he wants to come We do this every time. I'm yeah, guilty of it. we do it every it. time, and yeah, I am as well. The reality is 99% of free agents just sign with whoever gives them the most money. Let's just call it what it is. There will always be exceptions to the rule. Like you said, maybe some one-year deals, like hypothetically Conforto wants a one-year deal. Would he rather set his market in a hitter-friendly ballpark? Maybe he would. But for the most part, they're just going to sign with who gives them the most money, and the Mets are in position to offer the most money for basically anyone they want. And uh, yeah, to me, I, I don't think they need to drastically overpay. Uh, maybe situationally they might have to give a little more than another place, but for the most part, no, just offer more than whoever's second place and you'll get the player. Uh, As far as won't be as aggressive as we think, well, it depends who we is. If we is a lot of Mets Twitter, then yeah, I think so. Uh, Because there are people out there that genuinely, you know, you kind of referenced it early in the show that are like, sign Baez, sign Bryant, sign Stroman, sign Marte. And if your expectation is they do everything like that, yeah, they probably won't be as aggressive as you think. Uh, But I've also said it. I've said it for probably a couple months now. I think the Mets are going to have the highest payroll in baseball in 2022. And if not, they're going to be right up against whoever is first, the Dodgers or whatever. Uh, They're going to be up there because, you know, just to give you a summarization. Yeah, that's the word I'm looking for of what the Mets payroll situation is right now from a luxury tax standpoint they're like in the mid 180s right now michael uh, conforto rejected the qualifying offer so he doesn't count anymore they're still at the mid 180s number if Cindergard were to accept it their payroll is already over 200 million dollars and all right you want to bring back javi baez 25 million dollars a year you're at 230 million dollars you know they're going to be their payroll is going to be sky high and that's just with signing you know, a couple premium players. So forget signing four, 
five premium players. Uh, they're not gonna they're not gonna be doing that. And frankly, that's not the best way to build a team. Uh, the point of hiring a front office and infrastructure is to find the diamonds in the rough, find the Max Muncies of the world, the guys that you get for low dollars that give you premium results. I mean, Taiwan Walker is a good example. Obviously, he didn't have the best second half, but for $7 million, the Mets got more than their money's worth on that deal. So it's not all about the stars and the big money, and I know that's what everyone obsesses about. And the Mets will issue a big contract or two for sure. Uh, I just think some people's expectations are a little out of whack. And I try I try to tone it in here. Yeah, uh, no, that's what I appreciate about you, honestly, is that uh, you're you're honest and, you know, temper expectations. Have fun. Celebrate it. We'll we'll have a Lindor moment of this Mets offseason yeah. where we oh, my God, we'll have a maybe you know, two, maybe two, yeah. maybe yeah. two Lindor moments. You know, but you don't have to buy a whole baseball team. It's what you're going to do in the middle market that can dictate how far this team goes. So that being said, episode 67, the set, shout out to Seth Lugo. You, I mean, I know he didn't have the best year in his standards, but uh, it's nice to have a number in the 60s that actually matters. The Seth Lugo Show, Joe, give me your closing thoughts. Uh, unless Brian Matwire, who is in the Arizona Fall League uh, for the Mets, unless he makes the major leagues at some point, uh, Seth Lugo is going to be the latest round draft pick to make the Mets probably ever again. Because the, the draft is not as long anymore uh, as for when Seth Lugo went. So uh, to me, I love Lugo. I think he's a quality reliever. He had the elbow thing this year. He, he just never seemed right. I'm um, hopeful with another offseason under his belt, we'll get back that Seth Lugo that we know and love. And, you know, it's a real setup option behind Edwin Diaz or, you know, a closer in situations where you need him to be. And he's going to be coming in at an affordable rate uh, with arbitration. Right now, the MLB Trade Rumors has a projection of $3.7 million for Lugo for next year. So a great value piece in his last year before free agency. Uh, but obviously, yeah, like you said, numbers in the 60s, a little bit suspect. But Seth uh, represents 67 very well. And he is the only one to ever represent 67 for the New York Mets franchise. Drafted in the 34th round in the 2011 MLB draft. His nickname is the Quarter Rican. Uh, Seth Lugo is just a marvel. Looks like an accountant. Pitches like an absolute boss out there. All right, episode 67, a lot of fun. I'm tired of saying it, but I'll keep saying it. Hopefully next week we're actually talking about who is running this baseball team and making decisions. We'll catch you then. I'm Amira Rose Davis, host of the new season of American Prodigy, all about Black girls in gymnastics. My white coaches just said, you may not get the scores that you deserve because you're Black. It's the story of a decades-long struggle of Black gymnasts trying to find and amplify their voices. I can't be the next Simone Biles. I can't be the next Dominique Dodds. I can only be the next version of myself. Listen to American Prodigies on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, and wherever you get your podcasts.